Well, a while ago, I was getting ready for work, and I had on my favorite channel, ESPN. And uh, <laughs> the ESPN announcers were talking about this, this one poor guy from Baltimore. They were showing scenes from the Yankees in the Baltimore game. And they were talking about this one guy from Baltimore who had just set the major league record for a slump. For no, he just set the record for the number of at-bats without a hit. And uh, 56 straight games without a hit. And it's, you know, it's interesting that the, the, the record for hits is set by Joe DiMaggio, who hit in 56 straight games. So 56 at-bats without a hit, 56 straight games with a hit by Joe DiMaggio. It's uh, kind of interesting how that worked out. Uh, but they're talking about the Yankees and how they've given Baltimore a beat down on how this one poor guy had just struggled throughout the game. Uh, by the way, are there, are there any Yankee fans in here? Okay. Uh, ushers, would you show this gentleman out, please? Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, now, a hot streak is good. Everybody likes to be on a hot streak. Don't we? Isn't it nice when you're just in, in the zone and it just feels like every decision you make, everything you do is just going to work out? You know, but this, this poor guy from Baltimore, he was just doing everything he could. You know, the, his, his uh, first at bat, he just gave it a great swing. He, he put a major hit on the ball, looked like it was going out. It was about 10 rows deep in the stands, foul by just a foot. Poor guy. You could just see him drop the bat, just, you know, roll his eyes, get frustrated. Like, what do I have to do? Kind of looked up at the heavens. His second bat, he, he lines a line drive right down third base, and the third baseman dives and catches it, and he's out again. Third at bat, he lays down a beautiful bunt, just drops it right, right down the third base line. Pitcher comes in, picks it up, throws him out by half a step. This poor guy. And his last at bat, he strikes out. You can just see the frustration on his face that he's doing everything he can. It's just not working out very well for him. You know, most of the time when a player is in this kind of a slump, they get set down to the minors or maybe they just get cut from baseball altogether. You know, streaks and slumps happen all the time in all sports. But you know what? They happen in life too. What's true in What's true in sports is true in life. Slumps and streaks both happen. But what do we do? What do we do when we feel like we're in a slump? When just everything we do, just, you know, we, we do everything we can and it feels good, like we just hit the ball well, but just no reward. Yeah, it's only natural. You know, we can't be on a hot streak all the time. So what do we do when we have a slump in life? Because the same thing that happens to people happens to churches as well. Why? Because churches are made up of people. That's pretty simple. You know, I'm sure we all know someone who started out their faith journey, you know, really hot. And, and after a while, it just kind of fizzled out. That's just called human inertia. I don't know if you're familiar with the NAV 2-7 material, the navigators uh, that was outlined by Dawson Trotman. But Dawson Trotman talks about human inertia. And it's this, you know, I could, I could take a ball and I could roll it up the aisle and it starts out rolling really fast, really fast. Then it starts to slow down, starts to slow down 
until it gets partway down and it stops. That's human inertia. It happens to all of us. And uh, what that means is that God recognizes the human condition. And it's okay. It's okay to have a slump. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with our faith. It just means for the moment, it's a natural part of our faith journey. Now, King David, who was known as a man after God's own heart, uh, he says this about a slump. He's obviously in one. In Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, David writes this. He says, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? This poor guy, he's just mired in a major slump. Okay? But, you know, faith and doubt go together just like streaks and slumps do in sports. So again, what do we do? What do we do when we're in this major slump, okay? And things just aren't working out. Two words. One, courage. And two, persistence. Courage and persistence. You know, each one of these can be a, a derivative of the other. Uh, there have been lots of times in my life when I prayed to God for, uh, to strengthen my courage in a certain situation or, or, to, or for him to... Uh, Strengthen my persistence in a certain situation. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a friend who, uh, uh, he was in, in recovery and he was doing really well, but he had a girlfriend who had continued to use. And he followed her into a crack house. And then while he was in there, he just got scared of relapsing. He didn't want to relapse, so he calls me. He says, can you come and get me? I said, yeah, sure, buddy, I'll be right there. Okay. I jump out of bed and I throw my clothes on and, and uh, jump in the car to go get him and, and, and I pull up in front of the crack house and there's a few, few uh, young ladies standing out on the porch and I go up and they just look at me and I say, anybody seen Greg? And one gal says, just a minute. And she goes in the house and all of a sudden out the door come these uh, uh, four big kind of biker dudes, big old burly, heavy set biker dudes. And uh, they kind of stand around me and, and they say, what do you want? Who do you want? I said, well, I just, I just came to pick up my friend Greg. <laughs> you know? And uh, they said, well, who are you? I said, well, I'm his friend and I'm a pastor. They just look at me like, a pastor? <laughs> and what are you doing here? <laughs> and one guy says, okay. He says, he's got this gravelly voice like he's been eating gravel. And he says, okay. If you're a pastor, say something pastorly. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, so all my brain just spins into gear and uh, so I, I quote Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, these are the things you need to think about. 
the same guy goes, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> and they all kind of take a step closer. I'm like, oops. I said, well, what that means is, I said, this is verse, it's kind of a filter for my thinking. I said, for example, it says, if anything is admirable or praiseworthy, these are the things you need to think about. I said, I think you guys are really admirable. You want to protect your, your friend Greg, and, and I want to protect my friend Greg. And I said, I, re- I really respect that. And they just kind of look at me like, oh? <laughs> you know, that wasn't the answer they were expecting. And just as soon as I said that, then Greg comes down, and he shows up, and he, and he tells the guys, he comes up and walks in between them. He says, don't worry about him. He's okay. I'm going to go with him. So he kind of takes my arm and we go out to the car and jump in and I, on the way home, he says, those guys didn't hurt you, did they? I said, no. (laughs) Uh, They just wanted to know what I was doing there. He came back and he said, okay, good. Because the cops won't even come to this house. It's too dangerous. (laughs) I didn't know that. It's probably a good thing I didn't know that. I was already scared enough, but God gave me the courage and the persistence to go get my friend Greg and help him before he relapsed. Brings us to our text in Luke 18. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will, will he find faith on the earth? Great question. Will he find faith on the earth? Now, in order to really understand this passage fully, we need to always put it in context and go back and see what was previously written. So in verse 17, Jesus makes it clear in our lives that we will see difficult times. Chapter 17 is all about seeing, having faith, persevering through difficult times, times of temptation, times when we just feel like maybe evil is winning. Uh, Chapter 17 is about increasing our faith during those difficult times. But Jesus mentions two important qualities that will help us through those difficult times. They will help us grow in our faith. One is humility, and the other is gratitude. That attitude of gratitude, I think, especially is so important. But humility and gratitude are just both major faith components. And then in verse 18, he gives us the bottom line. The bottom line to growing in our faith. You guys have growing in your faith on Wednesdays. What a, what a great thing. I so, applaud, I so applaud this church for your vision, for the vision of what you're doing here to help people grow. 
to Jesus, I think the bottom line to growing in our faith is to persevere. It's that word, perseverance. If we're going to develop humility, we must persevere in that direction. If we're going to have gratitude, we must persevere in that direction. If we feel threatened by evil, we must persevere. If we feel like we just, just don't have any answers, we persevere. Perseverance is a major quality to growing our faith. Now, is, isn't that the essence of what Jeremiah 13 is all about? If you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, that is the essence of perseverance right there. Now, when I study a passage in Scripture, one of the first things I do is go after looking at the context, trying to put it in context of what's before and what's after it. The next thing I do is circle the key words. The key words in this passage in Luke 18, 1 through 8, the first key words in this passage are the words, should always. Should always. These words, should always, are pretty common to Luke's writing. He uses them in lots of other places. What it means is it's necessary or it's vitally important. Now, for a Christian, it would seem like saying prayer is vitally important and never give up petitioning God. For a Christian, that would just seem like uh, that's a no-brainer. Hello. You don't have to come tell us about that, Mike. But you know what? According to Barna studies, Barna's the group that studies churches and churches of all kinds and all faiths and presents statistics on what churches are doing. According to Barna studies, the average person who identifies them as a Christian spends an average of about 10 minutes per week in private prayer. Private prayer by himself, by yourself. About 10 minutes a week. Now let's compare that to the average Muslim who spends an average of about 69 minutes per week in prayer. Or a Jehovah's Witness who averages about 100 minutes in prayer. And according to Barna studies, again, guess who are the two fastest growing religions in North America? The Muslims and the Jehovah's Witness. Oh, folks. We, we got to we got to counteract that. We need to bring the message of the true and living God and the Christ who is resurrected. But they're growing. You think there's a connection? And here's another set of statistics for you. 69% of women who claim to be Christians say that they pray on a daily basis. 69% of women. Hey, ladies. <laughs> Good job, all right? What's, what's that old saying? Girls rule, boys drool, okay? <clears throat> Ladies, you nailed it. You're doing great. But, fellas, only about 32% of men who identify themselves as Christians claim that they pray on a daily basis. Ah, oh, come on, fellas. Come on. We got to step up here, all right? I spent 10 years as the men's pastor at First West. And I saw all kinds of guys come in. And one of the first things we had that I felt like they needed to be taught was how to pray, how often to pray, how to make that conversation to God and connect with him. Now, according to Luke, persistent prayer is an absolute necessity to uh, our relationship with God. 
Now, the, the word that Luke uses here, the word prayer, uh, is, is kind of a unique word. It means to make a persistent request. That's how Luke used, that's the image Luke portrays. How to make a persistent request. That's his word for prayer. And Luke follows up by saying, and never give up making those persistent requests. Luke uses the word, uh, the Greek word, it's called uh, egakeo, which literally means do not turn cowardly. Do not turn cowardly. Or as, as it's translated in most versions of the Bible, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart when it comes to the subject of prayer. So the, the first principle I want to give you today is that prayer is necessary. It's not something we should take lightly. And again, this is a very mature group. This is a group who has been growing in their faith for many, many, many years. So you're likely thinking, uh, duh, Mike, tell me something I don't know. Prayer is important. I get it, okay? But when Jesus talks about prayer, he talks about do not lose heart, okay? Do not lose heart. Because anytime God tells us do not lose heart, it's a signal that something good is about to happen. <laughs> Something meaningful is about to happen. So, in this case, it's an answer to prayer. So the first key words I go through in a passage when I'm studying a passage of Scripture are to circle the key words. And the first key words in this passage are should always. We should always keep praying. It's used, and then the second key word is the word justice. It's used four times. In this passage alone, the widow prays to God, asking the Lord, grant me justice against my adversary. And then it's repeated in verse 5 by the judge who says, I will see to it that she gets justice. And it's repeated again in verse 7, surely God will give me justice. It gets repeated one more time in verse 8, where Jesus said, and he's talking about God the Father, I tell you, he will grant you justice. The word Luke uses here literally, literally means to make things right. Don't we have a great and glorious God who someday is going to make all things right? It's just that word to make things right is just an expression of God's character. It means God stands for what is just and right in this world. Quick question for you here. Chase a quick rabbit trail. Any of you ever serve on jury duty? Oh my goodness, God bless you. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough to be on a jury, isn't it? You know, especially if it's a difficult case. There's just so many nuances to the law and, and uh, uh, so many gray areas that need to be interpreted by, by juries. And, you know, sometimes they don't even decide who's right or wrong. They have to decide a percentage of who's right or wrong. Are, are you 10% wrong or 50% wrong or 80% wrong? Juries have to figure out that percentage, and, and it's hard. But you know what? It's necessary. It's necessary so that justice can be served. I don't know what prayers, I don't know what prayers you've been expressing to God, but I do know that he is kind and gracious, and sometimes we just need to leave the decision in his hands. But, big but, okay? That doesn't mean we stop pestering him with our request. 
we persistently lay our prayers before him and we don't stop. Now, if we're doing a serious Bible study, after we go through and we circle the, the keywords, the next thing we do is uh, look at what are the comparisons and the contrasts. In this case, the tensions between the, the judge and the widow. And, and see, the problem is at this time, most judges were on the take. It was, common, it was common practice then. It was common practice for a judge to take a bribe, and that was his way of settling the case. Whoever had the most money, okay? I know, I, know, I, I hear you. We're not far off from that today. I, I've been in a lot of courtrooms, and I've seen a lot of people with money get out of things uh, where poor people with court-appointed court attorneys do not. But I can safely say that the justices, the judges we have in Calhoun County are just wonderful. We have great judges here. Most of them are Christians. The judges in, in drug court, people that I work with, Judge Halsey and Judge Lincoln are both Christians, and they're just, they're a joy to work with them because they care about people. They care about making the right decision. They care about the future. So, uh, in this day, though, judges were on the tape. They all wanted to bribe. And what Luke wants us to know when he says, I neither, you know, I neither recognize God or, or I, don't, I don't work with people, he wants us to know that this judge has no moral compass. He doesn't have one. So, it's obvious that he would like to make a decision based on money, but the widow has no money. She's all alone in the world. She has no one to speak for her. In those days, widows were not allowed to speak in court unless they had someone to speak for them or unless they had money. She has neither. So she's in there by herself. So when, when Luke describes this widow, he uses a special word, which literally means someone who has been left empty. Oh, I know. In those days, the most marginalized people in the world were the widows. You know, it was common for widows to commit suicide during that day because after they lost their husbands, if they didn't have anyone else, if they didn't have sons or, or fathers or someone to take care of them, life was just bleak. It was hard. It was just miserable. They had no means of caring for themselves. So, and even, <laughs> get this, even the religious leaders of the day were hard on widows because widows were considered to be kind of a detriment to society. Oh, can you imagine that? This guy never met my grandma. All right. Luke talks about this a little later in Luke 20. In 2047, Luke says, but even while they, they meaning the religious leaders, uh, even while they are praying long prayers with great outward piety, they are planning schemes to cheat widows out of their property. Therefore, God's heaviest sentence awaits these men. Now, James kind of reverses that. Remember, after Pentecost, James is the uh, leader of the Jerusalem council, and they devise a plan to take care of the widows and the orf orphans. So James kind of flips it around, and in James 1.27, he says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing, refusing to let the world corrupt you. <clears throat> now, in telling this parable, 
Jesus is making a couple of important points. Jesus' first point is that even, even the lowest of the low, even the lowest of the low, need to be cared for. In this case, it was widows. And that was a really radical statement back then. But back then, most people were fairly, fairly, really calloused at the difficulty widows were suffering until Pentecost when they, the, uh, the new Christians decided to turn that around. In today's world, I think the people who are considered the lowest of the low are people who struggle with addiction. You know, as a society, we tend to just kind of turn our backs on the addict and, and just say things like, well, they, they just need to make better choices. If they made better choices, they wouldn't be where they're at. Well, you know what? I agree with you. You're right. If they made better choices, they wouldn't be where they're at. But I guarantee you, for the most part, most part, they are not going to make those choices on their own. They need mentoring. They need accountability, supervision, direction. They need someone to show them the way. They need someone to come alongside them and pray with them and, and give them direction, help them get a job, and, and give them some encouragement. You know, this makes the widow in our story today even more admirable because she had no one. She had no one to, to, to speak for her, no one to give her any encouragement, no one to advocate her for her. She was all alone, alone. But she had courage and she had persistence. I think this, I, I think of my grandmother when I read the story because that's just exactly what she was. She had grit. She had persistence. So it's a good thing this lady in our story today had persistence because she had to pet petition the judge several times. Now when the judge finally did respond, he did so for the wrong reasons. Look at verse 5 in our text. The judge says, this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see to it that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Good job, lady. All right. <laughs> but the language Luke uses here, it's a boxing term. Uh, it's, it's symbolic of a boxing contest. Luke is literally presenting the image of a boxer who has been beaten down. Anybody remember the, the, the song, The Boxer, by Simon and Garfunkel back in the, uh, I don't know, late 60s, early 70s? He talks about how the boxer uh, was just beaten down, but he keeps getting up and getting up. That's what this lady, the Luke, wants us to know that this lady is doing. The judge says, or the word Luke uses here, it's, it's a word, Greek word called hippoplaza, which literally means the widow is giving me a black eye. <laughs> now, I don't think that's physically the case at all, but it was just, you know, a symbolic that he was giving his reputation a black eye. Now, the judge doesn't really care about the widow, and I don't think he's feeling ashamed at all, but at least not as far as I can tell. I mean, because he says he neither fears God nor man. So what Luke wants us to know is this guy has no moral compass, so it doesn't exactly inspire the idea that he's feeling ashamed. But I think what Jesus is getting at is this. If you have people in your life who just, who just act like they don't care about you, remember, God does. God does. God is a loving, 
caring father. And we are his children. And Jesus wants us to know that he is not a callous judge. He is forgiving and kind. And he is attentive to the things that are on your heart. And he hears your prayers. He hears your prayers. Okay? You can trust him that he has your best interests at heart. If you don't remember anything else out of today's message, if you don't remember anything else, just, just remember this, because after this one point, remember this one point, after we have prayed, what happens to us while we wait for answers is probably more important than what we were waiting for in the first place. After we have prayed, what happens in us and to us is probably more important than what we prayed for in the first place. What do you think God is doing in you? What do you think? Huh? What do you think? What, what do you think is God is doing to you and in you while you wait for answers to your prayers? Are you building patience? Are you building patience? Are you getting more determined to persevere? Are you gaining courage? You know, if not, it's okay. It's okay to feel discouraged because you might be in one of those seasons where you're just in a little bit of a slump. So here's a tidbit for you. If you're in a slump, it gives God the opportunity to help you out of it. If you're stuck, it gives God the opportunity to help you get unstuck. Hey, to God be the glory, right? All right. But if you give up, you will never know the victory. If you give up, you will never know the victory. I'm going to close with this story. <clears throat> there was a farmer who had a donkey. Donkey was old and stubborn and kind of set in his ways. And, and the, the farmer who owned it kept praying, Oh Lord, please send someone to take this stupid old donkey off my hands. One day, while sitting at the dinner table, the farmer heard a loud brain from the donkey off in the distance. He got up from the table and he went out to the door and he listened and, and it got louder. And so he kind of walked towards the sound that he heard. And, and uh, as he walked towards it, it kept getting louder and louder. And finally, the farmer found the source of the noise. It was his old donkey that had fallen down into a, an abandoned well that had just been poorly, poorly covered up. He was so exasperated with this cantankerous old animal that, that uh, the farmer decided, he said, I'm just going to end it right here and right here, right then and now. So please, please don't call the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals on me. This is just a story, okay? All right. So the farmer went back to the barn. He got his tractor with the scoop on the front, and he and he uh, went out by the uh, old abandoned well, and he scooped up a bucket of dirt, and he dropped it down the well scooped up another bucket and he dropped it down the old, the old abandoned well. And all of a sudden, the brain stopped. The farmer takes out his flashlight and he looks down the well and he, and he sees the donkey down there. Every time he dropped a bucket, he wasn't down in the well, he wasn't burying the donkey. The donkey stepped up on top of the pile. Now, all of a sudden, the mission changed. Farmer started to get excited. He says, I got to see where this goes. 
I just got to know, he says. <laughs> so he started taking smaller scoops and being more gentle where he placed it. He, he'd run it down the side of the well instead of just dumping it. And, and after about an hour, the donkey was close enough to the surface to just jump out. And he was okay. A little dirty, but he was okay. Feeling victorious, the farmer ran to the donkey and his, he, he put his arms around the donkey and he hugged him and it was just something he hadn't done in a long time. And while he was hugging the donkey, it dawned on the farmer that he was just as stubborn and cantankerous as that old donkey. <laughs> Maybe even more so. So he dropped to his knees and he asked God to forgive him for being so mean-spirited and selfish with this helpless animal. And the farmer discovered a new admiration for his donkey, and he proceeded forth with a new love in his heart. And I think a lot of us feel like the donkey, that we're just kind of buried, and somebody's, somebody's just backed the truck up and just dumped the load of the world on, our, on top of us, and, and it's just overwhelming, and it's hard. And some of us feel more like the farmer, where after a prayer, we feel rejuvenated and joyful. And there's a new, new direction in our lives. I know that CVC, I love this church, by the way. For years, this has been such a solid church, full of people who have depth. I love this church. <clears throat> I know that Calvary Baptist Church has been waiting a long time for, you know, things to happen. I want to encourage you today. This is supposed to be a message of encouragement. Encouragement is one of my spiritual gifts right after, yeah, right after shepherding. I just want to encourage you today. God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers, Calvary Baptist Church. I just want to encourage you today to not give up. Okay? God hears your prayers. Here's our points of application. Point, three points of application. Key point number one. It's easy to say, don't give up on God. Okay? It's easy to say that. We know He is the creator of the universe. But don't give up on each other either. I think you have a marvelous thing going here. Marvelous ways of connecting with each other. Of being with each other. Supporting each other. Encouraging each other. It's easy to say don't give up on God, but don't give up on each other either. Key point number two, listen to each other's ideas. Because for some people, that feeling of being listened to and the feeling of being loved are so intertwined that they are virtually indistinguishable. Key point number three, last point. And our points of application. Keep praying. <laughs> Keep praying. Because what happens while we wait may be even more important than what we were waiting for.